Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Uh, so what a great start to, to the year and so wonderful to see everyone uh, here this morning. Now, I don't know if you are like me, that every now and then you are required to do some handiwork around the house. Uh, you'll be sitting around, the light bulb goes out, or you need to climb one of those tall cupboards that uh, are set apart for special moments uh, in your life. And while you're in the kitchen, and I suppose this message that I'm about to share, this little piece here, is more orientated to shorter people uh, in the audience, right? And so when you look at this light bulb, it is so far out of reach. And so you have a choice to make. Do you go to the cupboard where your little steppies is, or, you know, the storeroom or the garage? Or do you just utilize the God-given ability of this chair, right, to, to climb up on? Uh, and I'm tempted to climb up on it, but I do believe that it might just not end well for me. And then, uh, Sai, you might need to come up and preach. So I'm not going to stand up on it. But we've all been tempted. In fact, we've all climbed onto a chair to change the light bulb. And what happens when you're on this precarious thing, standing, changing the light bulb? It's a little bit shaky, isn't it? Like your knees are shaking. You're like, can somebody come and hold the chair? And what it tells me is that we're using this thing for its wrong purpose. Uh, this chair has been set apart for something, right? And this has been set apart for something. And as I was preparing this week, I was wondering how many of us are living precarious lives because we're living our lives in a way that we weren't set apart to do. We're using our lives as ladders, but when we should actually be using our lives as chairs. And so to be set apart, uh, one, one definition says is to make something or someone special, to keep it separate in order for a particular use. As humans, we have been created to know God, to bear His image and partake in His kingdom. To know God is an intimate relationship. This is not just an intellectual understanding of what it means to know God. It involves a deep connection to our Lord and Savior. Trust in Him that He has set us apart for a particular purpose in our lives. To bear His image involves aligning our lives with the teachings of Jesus so that Christ will transform us and that, that His purpose will integrate into every part of our lives. And that we partake in his kingdom work, it means that we need to become environmental stewards of the environments that God has placed us in. To be a family and a community that is connected and live a lifestyle of worship. That was the intention for us to glorify God with our lives and to, give, to, get, to get to know him and to, so that he can be permeated through all our lives. But we have chosen differently. We have chosen to do something really different. And our scripture this morning talks to us of how we've chosen to do things differently. And so our reading comes from Genesis uh, 3, 8, uh, 1 to 8 and verse 21. And normally we'd say turn to your Bibles, but many of you need to turn on your Bibles um, <laughs> to go. So either turn on your Bibles or turn to your Bibles and we're reading from Genesis 3, 1 to 8. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Uh, that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say that you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, 
But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit uh, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, will you surely die? For God knows that if you eat this, uh, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and know good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then her, both their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of, of the Lord, Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. And we jumped to verse 21. Uh, and the Lord made Adam and Eve and his wife garments of skins uh, and clothed them. We are, we are talking this morning about holiness lost. This idea that we are living a different purpose to what God had created us. We have made different choices around what God has intended us to live. And so we're talking about holiness lost. The thing about holiness lost is means that holiness lost doesn't mean all is lost. It doesn't mean that we have come to the end of the road. And so we need to be aware of this. So even as Adam and Eve chose not to be set apart, chose something different for God, God didn't give up on them. God didn't just stop believing in them. God interacted with them still, which tells me, even though you and I have decided sometimes not to follow God in its fullness, God hasn't given up on you and God hasn't given up on me. And so this morning, we're going to unpack holiness lost. How did we lose holiness? What have we lost in the process of losing that holiness? What are we trying to do to regain that place that we've lost? And what has God done for us that we can't do for ourselves in terms of setting us apart? Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so sin changed everything. Um, often when we read our Bibles, uh, sometimes we read so fast we don't actually stop to really understand <laughs> what we're reading. And so as I was going through the Scripture, I needed to slow down a bit. And um, I needed to talk about something that... Uh, I needed to address the elephant in the room, or the elephant in the Scripture, or the snake in the Scripture. Um, first of all, um, I realized that Eve was not called Eve until Genesis 20. Up until Genesis 20, she was referred to as woman. Um, and in fact, when God spoke about Adam, he referred to Eve and Adam together. They were one. And, and Adam gives Eve her name in verse uh, 20, which was interesting. But... I know this freaked me out when I was reading. The snake spoke to Eve. And when the person was writing this, the person didn't say she was shocked. She was amazed. She ran away. The snake spoke to her like it was just a normal thing to happen. And I was like, so did, did we speak to animals in the garden? Did animals speak to do? Were we so in touch with the creation that we could engage with it like that? And so sometimes I think we just read over it and say, hey, oh, the snakes, I know I wouldn't hang around if a snake started. Like the moment I see a snake, some of you are looking at this and saying, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Can you change the slide already, right? Now, even for her just to hang around to talk to the snake just boggles the mind, right? And so 
the snake spoke to her in the garden. And he said, you must not eat of anything in the garden. Did, did God really say? And the snake hasn't stopped speaking since ever. He is still speaking today. I'm thinking that maybe the snake might have spoken to some of you this morning as you were coming to church. The snake might even be speaking to you, whispering to you as you're sitting there this morning saying, this word, is it really for you? Was that worship really orientated to God to speak to you? In this world filled with doubt, we often hear the whispers of the snake saying, did God really say his word is absolute? Just uh, as we, um, uh, just as the serpent questioned in the garden, our culture still questions and challenges uh, today and said, did God really say our moral standards need, should be and need to be aligned with his? Uh, in the midst of society questioning anything in the echoes of this, uh, the, the persisting echoes of the serpent says, did, did God really say that Jesus is the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father except him? The serpent still hisses continuously through the ages and casts doubts on God's promises in our lives. Did God really say that he will never leave you nor forsake you? The serpent's voice still echoes in the passages of our choices. Did God really say that you can live together, that you can't live together? Did God really say that you, can, you, don't have, that you can't pray to your ancestors? Did God really say... Like, I think the echoes of that serpent that God really say is still with us today. And those whispers have changed everything. And there's a lot that we can talk about, but I want to highlight three things that the, the whispers of the serpent have changed. It's we have lost our connection with God. In Genesis 3, 8, we see that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, seeking fellowship with Adam and Eve looking for that connection, which reminds us that we are set apart to be with God, emphasizing this idea that God wants to commune with us. And it was Adam and Eve that hid themselves from God, and that they knew that their attempts to hide themselves was ne never really that good. Um, I don't know, uh, for people that have small kids, uh, when your children get into your makeup set, uh, woman, uh, maybe some dads wear makeup, uh, but when kids get into your makeup set and they put that lipstick on, right, and they put the jewelry on and they come walking in there with your high heels, uh, they walk in there proud, hey, proud and loud. Even though it looks like a disaster, they're proud and loud around what they've done. And they say this covering has been sufficient, but not with Adam and Eve. Um, when they put those fig leaves on, they realize this is completely inefficient. We have done something really wrong. And so even though they covered themselves, they still felt the need to hide themselves because they knew that their covering was inadequate, that they were ashamed of what they had done, right? And that is the same for you and me. Our inability to cover ourselves and do things for ourselves, we understand that we've done wrong. If we carry on with that kid analogy, you'll know when kids have done something wrong, the first thing they do is hide it from you. And sometimes you know that you can see, did you eat, the, I remember there was that uh, Leon Schuster thing where the young girl ate the ice cream and the ice cream was all over her face and said, did you eat? No, I didn't. And the ice cream is hiding behind her and, and trying to hide it, right? We sometimes try to hide things from our parents and it's completely inaccurate because our parents can see it, but we, we try nonetheless. And so they try to hide their sin, try to hide from the presence of God. And it, it is our sin 
that separates us from the presence of God, not us. It is not who we are that separates us, but our sin. sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. And so it is, and again on this parent thing, is that we dislike what our kids do, not who they are. And sometimes we conflate those two things and think that our parents hate us. But it's not us they hate, it's what we do that they hate. And it's the same with God, that God doesn't not love us. He doesn't like what we do. And Psalms 139, uh, 139, 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You cannot escape the love of God. We cannot hide from God because we are not separated from his love. Just think about the prodigal son in Luke 15. The son was still loved by the father, um, but he didn't enjoy the blessings of the father. He didn't enjoy the benefits of being in the father's presence. He He didn't fall into the protection of the father. So he lost presence with the father. He didn't lose the father's love. And I think some of us feel that we might have lost the father's love because of the way we live. And so sin doesn't separate us from the love of God. Because love, God loves sinners. Romans 8, 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love towards us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. And so while we hide from God, we no longer think aligning with God. When we hide from God, we are separated from his blessings, from his provision, from his benefits, from his protection. And therefore, we are no longer able to trust and rely in him. And that is one of the consequences of holiness lost. Another consequence of holiness lost is that we have lost our connection with one another. We now experience alienation and broken relationships. Before the fall of humans, we were connected. We felt this deep connection with each other. And we just need to look through history to see how we've torn each other apart from each other. Whether it's from slavery to the Holocaust or apartheid to genocide in Cambodia and Rwanda, For now, if we think about the gender-based violence and how quickly we move to cancel people, they don't think the same as us. We live with broken relationships. We see in Genesis 3.12 that when God confronts Adam, what does he say? This woman you gave me, it's her fault. Like he was somewhere far. He was right there with her when he was tempted. But yet he pushes the blame onto her. And we see this trend wherever we go. Some of you sitting here are dreading to go to work tomorrow. And it's not because you don't enjoy your work. You dread the vile environment that you work in. This constant blaming on, oh, this didn't get happened. It wasn't me. It was the client. No, it wasn't me. It's the economy. No, it wasn't me. It's somebody else. Very rarely do people take accountability for the things that they do. And so you're sitting here dreading to go to work tomorrow because of this broken world we live in. Some of you can't wait to go to work tomorrow because you can't bear living in the family that you're living in. Because it's not in your workplace, it's in your family. Siblings blaming each other. No, it was him. No, who did it? No, it wasn't me. It was somebody else, right? And sometimes we're quick to point to kids that say, oh, you didn't do it. But have you heard moms and dads? Say, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was your mom. Uh, no, it was your dad made this decision. right? And so rather than creating a unified front, we're always pushing the blame somewhere else. And so this is not our own makings. This comes from the Garden of Eden where we blame others, where our relationships are broken. And as we enter into uh, 2024, we gain to hear particular organizations blame each other for why this country is the way it is. 
People in blue t-shirts are going to be saying, hey, you know, those people who were green, they did this, and you this because of them. And if you vote for the red, they're going to do this. So just, you know, we're the right people. And then the green people are going to say this, and the red people are going to say that. I've never heard a political party say we've made a mistake. I long for the day a political party says, we, we are responsible for these things. I think they would gain a little more traction and trust from us. But it's not their fault. It's because we are a fallen nation. We are a fallen people, and it started back in the Garden of Eden. Our relationships are strained. The other thing that we lost is our purpose. We are, no, we are going our own way. Uh, as Isaiah 53, 6, we are like sheep that have gone astray. We have turned out to our own ways. I can't confirm this, but the studies told me that sheep are stupid. I'm not sure if they are, but this is what the concordances said, that sheep are stupid and strong-headed animals, and we are like them. So I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> we've all gone astray, and we're all doing our own thing. We are no longer set apart. We are now living as ladders when we should be living as chairs. We have changed the way we live our lives. Uh, are there any WWW wrestling people in the audience here that like watching that? Are you, yeah? I, it's not a, I, so that's not a time for confession. I remember I used to love it. And um, what these wrestlers would do is they would grab one of these things, right? And like, bam! Oh, I'm getting too excited up here again, right? And they use something that wasn't meant to be a weapon as a weapon. How many of us have weaponized our lives? That when we walk into the room, we become a wrecking ball. We have weaponized who we are. What a tough thing. We were meant to be chairs, but we now use what we're meant to be to hurt people. And I think that we need to think about what this means because our purpose says something else. We become like Jack Sparrow in the Caribbean, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean. It's got that compass. It's broken. It just spins in circles. If I gave you Jack Sparrow's compass, where would it point? Would you know what your purpose is or would it just spin around? Because when we stand for nothing, we will fall. When we, don't, when we stand for nothing, we'll fall for everything. And so we are the most, we are the most indebted people in history, the most isolated, addicted environmentally destructive, politically divided, stressed, anxiety, unhealthy, dis distracted, attention deficit, materialistic, consumer-driven, pessimistic, disconnected people in history. And I think it's because we've lost our purpose. We've lost what God has created us to be. We have found ourselves living in a broken world. We are burdened by our shame and consumed by our anger uh, we are gripped with the weight of the nature of sin. We are vulnerable and we stand, we stand exposed. Much like Adam and Eve, we are naked in this world. And our attempts to fill or, or mask our fragility, um, we have fashioned fig leaves to try and cover our nakedness. We've tried to make ourselves the same way that Adam and Eve did. And so as humans today... We see the same things that Adam and Eve saw in the tree. Will this tree, will these fig leaves, will this fruit in this tree give me wisdom? Will it give me power? Will it give me security? Will it give me pleasure? Will it give me belonging? And so as we read here, we say, we see that the woman saw that the tree was good 
for food security, and that when uh, and and that it was a delight to the eye, pleasure, and that the the tree was desirable to make one wise, wisdom, and she took the fruit and ate it. Talks about power and, and doing things for yourself, and she gave some to her husband. Talking about the sense of belonging, and so we've covered ourselves with fig trees, uh, with fig leaves, and here are some of the leaves that uh, by no means are, are all these leaves. These are just some of the leaves that uh, I thought about as we put in the sermon together. So some of us have covered ourselves with the fig leaves of relationships, significant relationships. When our significant relationships are happy, we feel covered. When our significant relationships love us, we feel covered. When they think we're great, we feel covered. And those relationships begin to, to hide our nakedness. But the problem is, is that you and I, we are human beings. We are fallible, we are weak, we make mistakes, and we disappoint each other. And when we do that, instead of hiding our nakedness, we, r- relationships tend to expose those relationships. Have you heard people say, ah, you, you, you're exposing me now? Which means you're exposing that person's nakedness. And I think that's why we keep people at an arm's length. That we're really selective about who we allow to bring close. The closer people come to us, the more they see our nakedness. The more they see who we really are. And so relationships don't always hide our nakedness. They expose that nakedness. The other one is, is that we hide our lives around our children. For many people in this auditorium, we have put our identity into our children. Um, how they, when their children are up, we are up. When they're down, we are down. Their behavior is a direct impact on our sense of wisdom and power. Um, to the parents of young children, particularly in the foyer over there, I love watching a, a newborn cry. And when they completely lose it, can you see how an adult has no power, has no wisdom, and this little body has taken control and exposes the nakedness of a parent. I have no idea what to do in this moment, right? And it exposes you. And when you've put your identity in this child, it exposes a lack of who you are, right? As parents, um, our children's performances at school are directly a reflection on us. If our children don't do well, there's something wrong with us. We live our unfulfilled dreams through our children. Our kids cannot bear the pressure of being the center of our lives. We will suffocate them with our love, and we will crush them with our expectations. Um, And so children cannot be a fig leaf to cover your nakedness. The next one is work. I can't tell you how many interviews I've done, and one of the favorite questions I have in an interview is, who are you? And what is the response? I am a CA. Who are you? I'm an engineer. Who are you? I was a CEO. And people tell me what they do. They tell me what their title is. And I often say, that's what you do. It's not who you are. And what we've turned to is we've created our whole identity around our work. And I often say to people, so if you stop doing the work that you're doing, what is left? Nothing. Nakedness. And we've allowed our titles, our work, to become something that becomes a fig leaf in our life. Tied to money um, is money. Another fig leaf is money. Money and work are not the same thing. When you put money and work together at the center of your life, you become a workaholic. But what does money do for people as a fig leaf? When people have money, they feel powerful. 
They walk into rooms and they think they can do things with money that other people can't. Money gives people a sense of security that at least if I have, we've all got a, a particular line that we've drawn in the mind. Now, whether that's 100,000 or whether that's 10 rand or even if that's like in your, you know, your reserve, mine is 100, right? Um, you've got a line saying, I'm feeling secure, but if I go below that, it's going to affect this. We need to cut budgets here. We, is that line? Because that line says, that's my security. Below that line, I'm feeling unsecure below that line. Money gives pleasure. What are the funny thing about money is, it's like a magnifying glass. It exposes the good and the bad. So if you're a generous person, the more money you have, the more generous you will be. Uh, if you're a selfish person, the more money you have, the more selfish you will be. And so money doesn't hide. Money exposes who we are. And then there's this one, which I found to be fascinating. The, the, the fig leaf of enemies. Many South Africans have built who we are around being a, the enemy. My identity is built about fighting the enemy. I walk into the room and I say, who is the enemy in this room? And I will fight it. Political parties, just look at their languaging, how they've languaged themselves around, we need to fight the oppressor. Which oppressor? We need to fight the system. Which system? And I think sometimes our language in particular in political parties, we're apt for 1970 and 1980. I think political parties need to begin to shift this idea about enemy. This week, I met a young man by the name of Freedom. I don't think he's that young. He just looked young. He said to me, Quinton, um, in grade eight, standard six for the timers in the room. Uh, first assembly, uh, I was there. And at the end of the assembly, the principal said, Freedom, and he shared his surname, Please come to the office. First day of high school. So Freedom goes into the office there. Principal, deputy principal, probably standard head is there. And uh, Freedom sees his file from primary school. Thick file like this. And said, we've read your file. And we just want to let you know, Freedom, this is your first warning, your second warning, third warning. We are giving you a written warning. Uh, one mistake and you're out of the school. So just be aware of that. We know you. And we are not going to take what you did at your primary school. Yeah, so take it as your final warning. So what does freedom do? Does he leave there feeling transformed? He's an enemy. Everything about him is built around being, there are enemies out there. His name even talks about it, freedom. So what does he do during first break? He goes to the spaza shop and buys his cigarette for break time. And while he says to me, while I'm busy reaching to grab the cigarette, the deputy principal and one of the teachers see me doing that. And so rather than dropping it, he says, my last cigarette in the school, I might as well smoke it. And rather <laughs> than go and smoke in a corner somewhere, he goes and smokes in the lapa, where the whole school can see him. And so he knows this is his first and last day of high school. And so he says he's in Mrs. Buerta's class. Buerta. I'm hoping I'm not giving too many names away. Anyway, if, I, I am good luck. So he's in Mrs. Bertha's class at the last two periods of the day. He gets summoned to the principal's office. He knows it's done for him. He goes there, and as they're about to say to him, you are expelled, Mrs. Bertha goes with him. And she pleads with the principal and the deputy principal, I will look after this young man. I will make sure that he behaves. And Freedom looks at her and says, who is this white savior to come and save me? She must be feeling guilty as a white person. 
So I'm going to show her that she's going to fail at this attempt to save me. I am not going to be her little project around this. Can you see how he's formed his identity around this enemy, right? And so she says, on one condition, that he has to attend public speaking program, uh, you know, competitions. He says, I didn't go to any of the rehearsals, any of the practices. I showed up for the competition. And I showed up on purpose with an untucked shirt, no tie, dirty shoes. I'm going to show this woman that I'm a lost cause. And I'm going to embarrass her today. She's going to know that she is not this white savior to me. And so that's to embarrass Mrs. Burton. So he's there. And he sits next to her. First person goes up. And he starts realizing very quickly that there's no mention of the teacher. There's no mention. Of, he is, when he goes up there, he's going to stand by himself <laughs> with his untucked shirt and dirty shoes. And so he says he starts tucking his shirt in. He starts trying to clean his shirt. Because now he knows he's going to be naked in front of everybody. And while he's busy doing this, Mrs. Boerter, out of her bag, pulls out some shoe polish and gives it to him. Starts shining his shoes. Then out of her bag comes a school tie, puts a school tie on. Out of her bag comes a jumper, puts a jumper on. Out of her bag comes speaking cards. They are blank. And he says, what must I do? She says, speak from the heart. He wins the competition and he says his life was transformed by Mrs. Boerter. When I spoke to him this week, he's a deputy principal of a school down in, in, in Pretoria today. <clears throat> And he owes homage to this woman that saved his school career and he's a deputy principal because of her. How many of us are missing out on the love of God because of the wrong identity we've chosen? That we've chosen not to follow what God has intended us to do. The last fig leaf that we have is this idea of pressure or pleasure. We do everything in our, de- our heart's desires and we do everything that we can escape this feeling of guilt and shame. Maybe that's why we're the most... Substance abuse, technology abuse, pornography um, addicted society. The problem with these leaves, like real leaves, they rot. They temporary. And so relationships, work, pleasure, your identity as an enemy, whatever, is temporary. It will rot. It will fall to the ground and it will expose your nakedness. Just like Adam and Eve realized their fig leaves were inadequate Um, and God needed to do something for them that they couldn't do for themselves. He had to shed blood so that they could get a a covering. Blood was shed for you and I too. And this blood that was shed for you and I purchases us. This blood has set us apart. And we are set apart for higher good. We are set apart to be what God has called us to do. And so you see the model that God calls Adam and Eve is the same model for you and I today. So when they came, when God came in the garden, he came patiently, waiting for the cool of day in the evening time to engage with Adam and Eve. And so as you're sitting here this morning, I want you to know that God is patiently waiting for you at the right time to engage with you. I want you to know that God is going to come with care before the darkest of the dark night. And so God comes to Adam and Eve just before it becomes full night. And he, and he cares for them. He came personally for Adam and Eve. He directly comes and engages with them. And so he's coming personally for you. He knows your name. He knows your address. And he wants to engage with you.
but he's also going to come with truth, showing them their lost condition. And he's going to come to you with truth. And so God comes with patiently. He comes with care. He comes directly. And he comes with truth. And he comes to you so that you can be set apart. He wants to make sure that you can begin to align your life with his life. And so some things to think about as we think about how we've been set apart. We are set apart to do what? We are set apart to live holy, righteous lives, serving, um, striving to reflect God's character in our thoughts, words, and actions. Peter 1, 1, uh, 15 and 16. Does God reflected, is God reflected in your thoughts, words, and actions? Maybe he's reflected in your thoughts, but maybe not in your actions, or maybe in your actions, but not in your thoughts. We are set apart to prioritize worship and devotion to God, acknowledging his sovereignty, and experience his gratitude and, and, and express our gratitude for his grace. Romans 12, 1. We are set apart to love others as he has loved us, demonstrating God's compassion, kindness, and selflessness in our relationships. John 13, 34 to 35. We are set apart to share the good news of Jesus Christ, participating in the expansion of his kingdom, making disciples of all nations. Matthew 28. We are set apart to pursue justice and mercy, to stand up for the oppressed and extend God's grace to those in need. We are set apart to cultivate healthy, godly, honoring relationships that encourage and support one another in their journey of faith. This is what we are set apart to do. We are set apart to steward the resources that God has given us, entrusted to us, to recognize our roles as caretakers of His creation. We are set apart. And this whole year, we are going to be set apart. And this year, there's an invitation for us to be set apart. There's this idea that we, we've been, all of us have been invited to be set apart, to live lives that God has called us to live. Ezekiel 16, 6 to 8, shows a, a vivid image of how poor and humble Israel's beginnings were. God uses the story of a baby girl being thrown out at birth. And so it was common during the, the days of the Bible that if you had a child that you didn't want, particularly girls you didn't want, at birth you would just put the child out and let nature take its course. And so God in Ezekiel talks about Israel as a baby girl being thrown out after birth. The state of being unwanted, vulnerable, completely naked. And Ezekiel abbreviated 16 to 8 says, when I passed you, I saw you struggling in your own blood. I said, your blood will live. Yes, I said, your blood will live. I will make you to thrive like a plant in the field. You will grow and mature and become beautiful. When I passed you again, I will spread my wings over you and I will cover your nakedness. I will swear an oath to you. And, in, and, and, and enter a covenant with you, and, be, and you will become mine. And so, holiness lost does not mean all is lost. And so, if you're sitting here this morning feeling like you have lost your holiness, that you're no longer set apart, that your relationships are broken, this is an invitation for you to say, holiness isn't, when you lost your holiness, not all is lost. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that we are able to 
come to you this morning and bring ourselves before you this morning and not have any fig leaves that are in the way of how we engage with you this morning. Father, won't you forgive us if we've put certain identities, certain things as ways of covering our nakedness. And so, Father, this morning, let us think about what are those things that we have put up as ways of hiding our nakedness before you. And can we expose ourselves to you this morning for who we are? Vulnerable people, fragile people, in desperate need of a Savior. Father, won't you speak to your people this morning? Either remind people in this room what you have set them apart to be. Remind them of what you spoke to them in those quiet moments when they were six years old and they had a moment with you. When they were 13 years old and you met with them and you shared a particular purpose for them, that you have set them apart for something. And for whatever reason, many of us might have strayed from that. This morning, won't you remind people of that? Father, I know that there are people in this auditorium right now that are hard at work at what you've called them to do. That you have set them apart for this thing and they, they're laboring in that thing. But that thing now has become their identity. That thing has become their security. That thing has become everything about who they are and they've actually lost their first love. Won't you remind people that the thing that we are set apart is rooted in our deep relationship with you. Won't you do a work in our hearts this morning? And for those of us that are hard at work for the thing that God has separated us for, that has set us apart for, we are feeling weak. We are feeling weary. I want you to know that God will journey with you in this thing that you set apart. The last group of people there might be people sitting here saying, I have no idea what I'm set apart to do. I'm like Jack Sparrow. I hold the compass and it just spins aimlessly. The first step in that is to connect with God, is to come to Jesus and say, you're the way. You're the one that, that touches my heart. And once you've made that connection with God, you don't need to do anything else other than to sit in His presence and maybe that's what your purpose is, is just sit in his presence. That is more than enough. That is good. If you feel there's more, there's no more than just sitting in his presence. That is all that is required of us. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you saying, Quentin, I want that. I feel loneliness, holiness is lost and that all is lost. I want you to say that all is not lost and that we as a church community want to journey with you. And so if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior to help you be set apart, don't you want to raise your hand so we can pray with you this morning? Father, we thank you that we have this huge privilege that we can come and worship with you this morning. 
that you have spoken to us, Lord Father God, and that we love you and that we are set apart for the things that you've created us to do. We thank you in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.